This is Focal Point, the podcast where we discuss the artists, themes, and processes that define and sometimes disrupt the world of contemporary photography. I'm Ashraiman Beal, Curatorial Fellow at the Museum of Contemporary Photography at Columbia College, Chicago. Today we're here with guests Ishil Eirikovuk and Amy Sanchez Artiaga and Misael Diaz of Cognate Collective. Ishil and Amy and Misael are three artists who will be featured as part of the Spring 2022 exhibition at MOCP titled Beautiful Diaspora, You Are Not the Lesser Part. This exhibition will be on view at the museum March 3rd, 2022 through June 27th, 2022. Ishil Eirikovuk is a contemporary artist from Turkey whose work shifts between fiction and reality, bringing together the worlds of performance art, storytelling, and digital media. She is the co-winner of Turkey's first contemporary art prize, Full Art Prize, in 2012. Ishil has participated in numerous international exhibitions, including the Istanbul Biennial, Sharha Biennial, Arts Subterrain Montreal, and many more across Europe and Asia. Additionally, Ishil's work has been published in both local and international journals. Since 2017, she's lived in Berlin and worked as a faculty member at Berlin University of the Arts, UDK, Media and Communication Department. Dr. Erika Vuk recently earned her PhD in 2021 with a thesis titled, From a Political Protest to an Art Exhibition, Building Interconnectedness Through Dialogue-Based Art. Ischel's well-known photographic works include The Image, But You Don't from 2018, Departure Time from 2015, and Willem Flusser and I from 2018. She joins us today from her home in Berlin. Cognate Collective is an artist duo composed of Amy Sanchez Artiaga and Misael Diaz, working together since the year 2010. They develop research projects, public interventions, and experimental pedagogical programs in collaboration with the communities across the US-Mexico border region. Their interdisciplinary projects often address issues of citizenship, migration, informal economies and popular culture, arguing for an understanding that the border is not a bifurcating line, but it is a region that expands and contracts with the movement of people and objects. Cognate Collective is an awardee of the Joan Mitchell Foundation Artist Grant, amongst many other honors. They've exhibited at Los Angeles Contemporary Exhibitions, Mexicali Biennial, Museum of Contemporary Art San Diego, and Hyde Park Art Center Chicago, as well as many spaces across Mexico and the U.S. and in Ecuador and in Germany. Amy and Misael join us today from their home in Southern California. Today on Focal Point, we are discussing a work that each of these three artists has chosen from the museum's permanent collection, as well as their own work and practices. All right, so to begin most officially, I would love to get into these images that we've selected from the MOCP collection. Ishil, if you could please state your name, where you're recording from right now, um, and the artwork you've chosen. If you can describe for us about the work, what it looks like, the visual components that strike you most, and what made it compelling for you. Yeah, sure. My name is Ishil Eirikavuk. I'm now recording from Berlin. And um, I chose the work called Marta Portrait uh, from the On Abortion series. And the artist's name is Laila April. And it's a black and, uh, black and white photograph, um, an image of a woman with a text under it. Uh, the text is not short. It's about a paragraph. And it's quite small compared to the image. And um, mainly we see the face of the woman 
school looks quite yeah um how can I describe it? She she looks at us directly. She seems um, she has a stern face. We can say between sadness and upsetness, and she she confronts the viewer. And um, and the, when you read the text, you one realizes that it's about her abortion story um, from Poland uh, to Slovakia, I believe. And. Um, I, I immediately was drawn to this image, I think, because of two reasons. Um, one is I also work with text. And uh, as an artist, I think uh, my strength or where I feel more um, confident is working with text um, instead of uh, first or beginning with text, instead of beginning to work with an image. And I am interested in stories and storytelling. Um, so I collect, I, I collect stories from people and, um, and I build relationships and dialogues and somehow bringing these stories together with fictional elements, I make work. Hers is more direct, I believe. Um, interestingly enough, before our conversation today, I was looking at the podcasts of Focal Point, recent podcasts. And this artist, Laila Abriel, is also the guest of a podcast uh, here. And um, I listened to her. I was able to listen to her conversation. And that was really, um, yeah, that was very inspiring. And I found out more connections between her work and mine. She is coming from a background of journalism. And uh, that's how her relationship with documentary photography and then art started. And I also, after studying art, um, and literature, um, I wanted to be a journalist. Uh, so when I, I studied in Chicago at the Art Institute and after leaving Chicago, when I went back to Istanbul, where I am originally from, uh, Istanbul, Turkey, I found a job as a reporter uh, in a daily newspaper. And I worked there about uh, four and a half years, uh, first as a reporter and then as an editor and uh, really making and designing uh, the pages. So um, that's also one way of working with um, methodologies of, of journalism is uh, a way that I, I still find close to, I work with. So that's like, I, I, I felt connected to her work in that aspect. And also on a personal aspect, um, as a woman, you know, talking about abortion, talking about reproductive rights, uh, fertility, um, those issues, I, I think I, I, I feel, um, uh, yeah, uh, are not so much talked about, especially abortion. And it's a really in intense experience. We know all what abortion is, but the details of it or the feelings surrounding it are not much spoken about or vocalized. Thank you so much. It's interesting being so familiar with um, both of your practices, the two different practices we're um, with today with you as artists and thinking about borders. I think with Cognate Collective and Amy and Misael, there's looking at physical and constructed borders, um, but also borders of policy and roles, and especially with Ischel, thinking about in your work, um, how you examine these borders or boundaries of policies and roles and expectations that are assigned to specific bodies and identities. Um, I think it's so interesting how in your work in so many different ways, you all have this drive to investigate and show how borders are not actually real. 
they are administrative lines and they are policies. Um, oftentimes they're these lines of violence or political and economic constructions of power and space, but just how these lines have been imagined and enforced and sometimes even physically built by one side, they can also be deconstructed and challenged and reimagined by another side. I'm curious about how, um, what your thoughts are and your practice and approach on what it is to deconstruct these lines that other people try to put on us that are not actually real. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, my way of working uh, um, mostly is I, I love to bring the element of fiction also uh, in storytelling. As much as I collect stories from people, I'm also very much, I, I, I love the idea of imagination, other alternatives. Um, because the most of the current reality I work with is quite dark and grim. And I am really interested in, yeah, uh, what are strategies and ways of um, just imagining, imagination. And um, sometimes a little bit of humor I am interested in bringing uh, into the onto the table. Uh, to give it maybe to make it more specific, I just now it came, to, it's not in this exhibition, but I can talk about the work of mine. It's called, uh, related to this idea of border. It's called uh, Pluto's Kitchen. Uh, I made this work in 2017. And I don't know if you all followed, but uh, Pluto was denounced um, uh, from being a planet and it was announced as a dwarf planet some years ago. Yeah? Um, and I'm a big fan of Pluto. And I was thinking about it, how we as humans are from our human centric point of view are deciding the status of Pluto and um, uh, that existed billions of years before us. Yeah? And um, at the same time, this was in 2017. Yeah, and I was invited to make a piece in England, in London for a performance art festival. And yeah, it was the Brexit talks that, you know, uh, that had started and Britain was all, uh, yeah, um, in uh, all the talks was about Brexit and what's going to happen with the, yeah, with the referendum. And I was thinking, yes, this Brexit, uh, Pluto's, sorry, Pluto's exit of planetary system to England's exit of um, in, you know, uh, European Union. And uh, I was imagining these two in terms of a breakup. Yeah? One is a celestial breakup and one is a yeah, breakup of borders. Yeah? Suddenly England says, okay, we are not part of European Union. And the land is there, but somehow it's reconstructed. And I, like you said, it's reimagined and it would be decided to be something else. And um, so I decided to make a performance of uh, breakup stories. There are three stories in the performance. One is a personal breakup. I also went through a personal, like I, I went through a breakup in that time. So that was part of it, breakup story. Then uh, Pluto's breakup uh, of the planetary system and England's breakup of uh, EU. And uh, those are, uh, then I took some quotes from Theresa May's um, comments uh, to the nation and also wrote uh, these, brought these breakup stories all together. Um, and the performance is realized in a, around the kitchen table with a, around the dinner table with about a hundred guests. And the dinners that are served are um, in the format of a, stages of a relationship. So it starts with cold appetizers. Um, so for example, the first appetizer was called 
my heart was cold as ice before I met you. And it's some like I worked with a chef and some very gray like surface um, uh, crackers and cheese. And, and then it becomes a garden, uh, it flourishes, you know, and that's a, that's a pie that grows leaves in it. And then in the end, it becomes um, um, a takeaway for home and it's a pickle in a jar. So, um, and yeah, it was about, um, like I said, very much about um, thinking of these borders and uh, they are actually constructedness. Yeah, and, uh, and who gets to decide again, uh, whose power is it to decide for a border and how, how uh, we are thinking uh, from our self-centric points of view. So uh, border is as, yes, the border is, um, that's how I can relate to your question again. And um, this is how I, uh, how I approach it, I think, with uh, fiction and play and yeah, and also um, in this case, food was part of it too. That's wonderful. Thank you so much. Maybe next, Misael and Amy. Yeah. Uh, my name is Amy Sanchez Arteaga. My name is Misael Diaz. And together we work as Cognate Collective. We are talking to everybody today from Kumeyaay land, a national city, um, California. So we're very near the border. Our work and a lot of our thinking um, around our practice originates at the threshold between the Californias at the border between the US and Mexico. So we started working together in not, not as Cognate Collective, but just as like young people when we were like undergraduates. Um, and so we've worked together. We are also a couple, but um, we worked together before we were a couple. So in some way that's been like our, our primary relationship. Um, but we found ourselves and found each other in a way because we like, I think also we're hearing narratives about the border. So we both grew up at the border um, and just found that our experience and the kind of lived experience of having grown up at the border and being sort of subjects of this kind of US-Mexico border um, context and its specificity as a kind of lived reality was so different from the kind of meta-narratives that we were learning and hearing and experiencing um, around that site. And so I think in our work, something that's really, a lot of things have shifted, um, but something that has really held true in our practice is thinking about place through the lens of specificity and through the lens of sort of lived experience, thinking about it um, through the kind of spheres of anecdote. Certain, we are, we're also really interested in these kinds of questions around um, storytelling and the way that like that kind of specificity and that kind of storytelling really asks, like needs us, necessitates a kind of um, complication of those meta narratives and a lot of those really um, sort of damaging um, political notions about border communities and about, yeah, those places. I don't know if there's yeah, anything yeah. you want to say. Or yeah, add. I think especially because when you take a look at a site, but also a political like dynamic and condition like the US-Mexico border from this perspective of these lived realities, of these lived experiences, 
through the lens of anecdote and just personal histories, I think a lot of those meta narratives just start to break down in a way that offers up an alternative space to imagine other potentials and other possibilities of, of what the space could be, um, not from the lens of an ideal way that it should exist, but already how it is that communities are enacting new forms of agency and community in spite of this division. Mm -hmm. So I think like for us, it becomes very important to become attuned to how it is that people already are imagining and instituting and materializing different ways of experiencing a border, different ways of living uh, with difference, um, different ways of responding to, and at times even beginning to transcend political delimitations um, that are imposed not just, I think, by this border, but I think as, as you point out, Asha, by other borders that just exist socially and politically, right? Um, I think one of the things that has become increasingly obvious also for us is how the U.S.-Mexico border is, is, is kind of a monument to a discourse around who should belong in the U.S. and who shouldn't. So we chose two works, um, one uh, work from 1935 by Dorothea Lang of uh, Mount Signal, um, Imperial Valley, um, which is actually the community where I grew up. And then the other, which is an image from David Taylor's uh, Border Monument uh, series, the Working the Line series from 2009. So we chose uh, this image uh, by David Taylor because I think it does a really nice job of capturing the multi-layered, multi-dimensional nature of the border. And so in the photograph, we see uh, this kind of uh, monument uh, right at the center, uh, part of the series uh, by Taylor uh, consists of documenting uh, these monuments that were placed uh, along this line on the map between the US and Mexico in the late 19th century. This is almost uh, 50 years or maybe exactly 50 years after the border itself was created by the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo. Mm -hmm. But for those first 50 years, there was really no indication of, a physical indication of that line, you know, existing in, in actual space, uh, apart from uh, these small, sometimes uh, stones that would get... Um, Karens. Yeah, that Karens one. that would be placed uh, alongside this demarcation, but they would be moved. It was kind of this, this fluid space until the late 19th century when, when they decided to establish an official boundary commission to, to kind of create these monuments to demarcate uh, the border. And then um, the second image that we selected, it is a landscape photograph of uh, the community where I grew up um, in the eastern far eastern part of Southern California. So on the border, both with um, Baja California, um, but also with Arizona. So just to kind of locate people to where the Imperial Valley is. It's an agricultural community. It's a community that has um, historically been a site 
where a lot of people have worked in agriculture on both sides of the border. So this kind of binational um, economy and ecology around agriculture. Um, my great grandfather and grandfather for a time were both farm workers and um, both organized agricultural workers, both in the Imperial Valley as well as um, in the, the Valle de Mexicali, which is the kind of neighboring community um, just uh, south of the border in Mexico. And so I think this image for me is a striking image. So in the foreground, we see these two um, uh, laborers, uh, these two workers um, whose faces are sort of shielded by these hats. It's really, really hot there. Like I think my grandmother told me that, um, I don't know if it was yesterday or if it's tomorrow, but one of these days it'll be like 121 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, and so like, I, I think in this image though, it's because it's this, you know, like black and white print, I think there is this like coolness or this kind of attenuating of the light as I know it there that I think is, so I think there's a definite like kind of phenomenological kind of difference in the way that this site is experienced via photo versus, uh, which obviously, right, is always a thing, but I think, um, there's a kind of like coolness to this image that I don't experience um, when, when I am in this place. So we see, so the workers, I think, responding to that condition. But then in the, in the backdrop, we see Mount Signal um, or, or the Cerro Sentinela, uh, as it's called in Spanish. And this is a really interesting mountain locally in that it's this kind of binational mountain. Um, and so I think in the way that Misael was speaking about like the, the construction and the kind of manufacturing of the border over time and through different forms of legislation and through different kinds of infrastructure, um, this, the, this mountain um, that exists in in our community, I think is a marker. It's a kind of geographic marker. It, it serves to orient and it's, you know, existed there. It's before all of us and will be there uh, long after. Awesome. Thank you both so much. Yeah. Again, it's interesting listening to all the different perspectives and I'm thinking about how, you know, borders and boundaries don't exist to enforce themselves they exist to enforce upon humans and not all humans equally. Thinking about the decisions that humans want to make for and onto other humans, even planets like Pluto. And just thinking about what that effect can be on individuals as well as communities. You all are part of an exhibition that will take place at MOCP next spring titled Beautiful Diaspora, You Are Not the Lesser Part. So I think it's so interesting, again, knowing your practices and this larger group of artists, people who are coming together um, in practices and you know, political beliefs, understanding that we are not the lesser part of anything. We are not small. And even, you know, what does that word minority mean? It's a border, it's a construct, it's a boundary that's not real, that has been put upon um, us by who knows what. So Ishal, would you be interested to tell us a little bit about your image uh, and the project, but you don't from 2018? Yeah, sure. Um, I moved to Berlin 2017, about one year after this um, so-called coup d'etat happened in Turkey. Um, 
And yeah, uh, before that, I was living, I lived in Turkey um, after my education in the US about 10 years. And uh, but during these 10 years, I really uh, observed how the country was becoming more and more authoritarian, ruled more and more authoritarian. And um, in the end, I decided to leave. And um, I, I actually um, came here through finding a job. Uh, I, I started teaching at the University of Art in Berlin. Um, and that was my first year. And uh, coming to Berlin was um, a little bit of a, I mean, I lived in the US before and now being as a Turkish uh, national, let's say. Um, and coming to Berlin was completely a different story. I suddenly became so much more aware of my Turkishness, um, even though I, I never, it's not nothing that I carry around my national, national identities, nothing I carry around with me. But a lot of people around me started telling me that, or asking me, yeah, first where I am from, and as soon as I would say Turkey, um, yeah, I, I got this comment a lot, but that I don't look Turkish. Um, just to give a little background, yeah, uh, Germany has a lot of Turkish uh, migrants or guest workers, as they are called, especially after the World War, Second World War, to rebuild the country. Uh, thousands of Turkish people came here as uh, as the uh, labor force, um, and they stayed. And so there is a Turk, uh, there's a big uh, Turkish community here, um, and mostly associated with this. Um, working class uh, that came here in the 60s and stayed and uh, seen from a very stereotypical lens. Uh, so I was subjected to it and I suddenly yeah, realized uh, that, um, that I get these comments and I started thinking, yeah, what, is a, what does a Turkish person look like or what does a Turkish woman look like? And at that time, I was reading Sarah Ahmed's um, Living a Feminist Life. And um, yeah, she talks about it a lot, a lot also. Um, being a person of color, yeah, she says, uh, being asked where you are from, it's actually, yeah, it's, 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 it's although it's, it sounds and it might be quite naive and it may never mean that, but for the person who is being asked this question, it can be it can be quite interrogative, and it's a way of telling that yeah, you are not from here, you don't belong here, you are from somewhere else, and you need to look like that that person who who is like the others. And if you don't, there's something different about you, and it's it can be quite overwhelming. So uh, that first summer that I was here uh, in Germany, I uh, I wanted to take this photograph. Uh, so I'm holding a poster. I'm in a lake. Uh, in Berlin, uh, which is there are a lot of them and they are beautiful and I want to be somewhere that I am almost naked yeah uh, and just holding this poster that says but you don't look Turkish which reflects the both the questions uh, question and the light back to the person looking at the image and I I really wanted to, uh, the person who looks at it um, to question this and actually to question their motivation in asking or their agency in asking the question. Again, it's so interesting learning about all the different subjects and ways that you've studied narrative and even thinking about um, when you function as a photographer, as an artist, it's not necessarily from the same way you were thinking about as a journalist, but it's informed by your performance background. So maybe looking at one more uh, performative photo, departure time from 2015. 
Yes, um, this is a work I did in Istanbul in 2015. At that time, I was living there. And one of the issues, of course, also, um, as you probably now uh, noticed uh, about, about my work, I, it's quite site specific. It really talks about uh, where I am living and what I'm experiencing in those times. And also this was, um, yeah, as a woman, um, it, 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 there, there are quite specific gender roles in Turkey. And I was thinking about um, just actually acting in public space yeah, as a woman, because there's, you feel so much gaze and you, you're being harassed walking on the street. There's a lot of street harassment, a lot of gaze. And to the point of, um, it can get physical also there's a lot of physical violence there are if we talk about it then i i would go into femicides that are happening and uh, almost 500 women are killed yearly and i was thinking about yes um uh, acting uh, or just being myself uh, how to carry my body in a public space and uh, then i i saw this uh, traditionally there are these uh, shoe painters do you call it shoe painter? I don't know um, uh, in English. Uh, shoe shine. Yeah, shoe shine. Shoe shiners. Yeah, shoe shiners uh, on the street. And my father used to uh, take me as a child. He would get his shoes shined. And as I was a little girl, and I, the shoe shiner would shine mine. And I always liked it. It's also somehow um, a position of power because you put your leg up there and the shiner uh, is usually... I mean, always, I never saw a woman, uh, man, and uh, shines your shoe. And, um, but I was only able to do it as a child. And never, I never saw a woman um, doing this in public space. And I was thinking, yeah, what if I do this? And, uh, but at the same time, I wanted to exaggerate it. Yeah, This also idea of being a, a woman or how is a woman represented? And, I decided to get myself dressed in a traditional bridal costume, the big uh, balloon-like uh, white dress and a lot of gold and red ribbons and makeup and yeah, curls and so on. And with flowers and uh, went to um, a public space. This is like uh, in Istanbul, uh, Beşiktaş neighborhood uh, before uh, the ferries. Uh, behind me is a ferry station. So... It's called departure gate. It's yeah, the, it's it's a station. It's a ferry gate, but it's also um, uh, uh, departure into what are the borders? In in that case, maybe I can relate it. What are the borders of being a woman, acting as a woman, and uh, how can I challenge them? And then the selection. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah. that's a good. Um, um observation you made i didn't actually think about it at the time but yes in that photograph departure time i do have an angry look as well and um and i i, I do look empowered also from my position uh it's somehow um being enraged at the situation yeah? and also by uh challenging it also feeling empowered thank you Ishel. Amy and Misael, um, can you speak a little bit about your project, Something to Do with Crossing from 2012? Yeah, so this project, um, so in the very first image that we saw, that was actually um, an image of 
the border, so the border in Calexico, um, California, so on the U.S. side of the border, um, and my family, so my mom's um, uh, family lived in um, the housing projects there, so just like literally across the street from this, you know, like geopolitical division. So on the left side of the screen, that's like the side where the houses are. And then on the right side, like the kind of fence infrastructure is the border. Um, and so growing up, um, uh, so my family lived there in the 80s and growing up, my family had all of these um, stories of their of their time living there. And one of the things that they spoke a lot about or one of the kind of like funny anecdotes was the fact that there was this kind of collective like then um, the little white can clothesline. Oh, clothesline. Yeah. Um, and so on on the clothesline, um, my family would often, so again, this is like a very like bright, this is very, very bright summer sun. And so my grandma who had like six kids and like talks about like how much laundry like they would do like each week really insisted that everybody hang clothes in the evenings because it's hot enough that things can like dry overnight. But that way, like, you know, like things didn't fade or whatever. So it was like this kind of care measure that my grandmother would take to dry things um, in the evening and at night. But then what would happen sometimes um, is that in the evenings when it was dark um, and because it was the 80s and so the border was just um, less militarized in this moment and there was just like more fluidity um, and more sort of um, crossing through, um, not through ports of entry, so through these like un unsanctioned um, areas. There, there was just people who in the evening would, would cross um, and who had been through the desert and were looking for like new clothes to wear. And so what happened is there was this kind of like informal exchange system that would happen um, through this clothesline where, um, you know, my grandmother would set out like um, a, a bathrobe of hers or like a nightgown or my grandfather's like work shirt or um you know like a PE uniform and then the next morning um in the place of that object uh, my family would find you know like tattered um clothing or shoes um and but I think what was always important to my family is that this was always an exchange that there was always like an object that was left there as a kind of symbolic um like gesture I think of reciprocity right even though that was symbolic and that might have been the only thing that person had and so I think and that, and as a kind of mythology, as a kind of narrative, and as that story was told um, to me, and then to Misael, it was, that was a really important component for that. Like my mother would always say like, you know, this, it was like, these were exchanges that happened out of need. It wasn't like stealing, right? And that for me was a way that she would articulate what it was to be in solidarity with other migrant people with other immigrant people and so in the gallery what we've done is basically set up um, a version of this clothesline um, so it's a clothesline that we hang prints on 
Um, and so the public is invited to take a print. Um, the, the photos that we show on the clothesline are all, um, well, so far have all been taken in kind of domestic settings of my family. So not in the original um, house and not on the original clothesline, but um, both times at my mom's um, home um, in the Imperial Valley. And so then those hang on the clothesline and the public is invited to take a print um, and then leave uh, an item of clothing. Um, and then this is a way that we then collect clothing um, and the clothing is donated to migrant shelters locally at the border. So, and I think in a lot of our work, we try to think about how it is that art and the art world and like the kind of power dynamics that exist around collecting um, can kind of create ways that work can circulate um, differently, but also kind of create uh, another way of kind of amassing um, donations or amassing, like creating another economy that is kind of um, tied to this, this form of collecting. Wonderful. And then maybe one last project, uh, Border Cameo. Can you tell us a little bit about this, please? Uh, in 2016, uh, we undertook a collaboration with uh, Tanya Aguiniga, who's an artist who is also originally from Tijuana. She invited us to be part of a series of interventions at the Port of Entry. And one of the kind of um, dream projects that we always had uh, when we first started working there was to rent out one of the billboards on top of a market that's located right at the Port of Entry, right yeah. at this site where cars line up to cross. Which the had been the, the market where we had really been working um, since, since 2010. Yeah, and um, to kind of stage um, a drive-in of sorts uh, where we would be able to screen films uh, uh, using one of these billboards um, and have cars tune their radios uh, to 87.9 to listen to those films. Um, and we worked together uh, with um, other local uh, artists uh, and scholars uh, who do work primarily in film to curate a, a series uh, like a film series uh, to screen at the crossing. Uh, and our contribution to that series was Border Cameo, um, which was essentially a collection of representations of the crossing that are taken from um, both uh, kind of popular uh, Hollywood media um, and also from home videos. Uh, that we found uh, and sourced uh, online. Um, so what you see throughout uh, the work, the video work, are just representations of the act of crossing. Uh, some of them uh, are filmed uh, at the port of entry. So you actually get to see uh, the infrastructure. You actually get to see some of the process of surveillance uh, and of inspection that takes place. Uh, and others are more imagined uh, landscapes of what it means to cross the border. Um, and I think for us, it was really interesting to um, kind of stage this, this clash between the imagined abstraction uh, that is, uh, you know, the border in people's minds when they aren't familiar uh, and haven't perhaps uh, crossed the border um, and the actual experience of those sites at the port of entry, for example, um, where a lot of the representations or some of the representations that we've found are of like these desert scenes, right, of how people sometimes imagine the border as this kind of like desolate environment 
uh, where people are kind of crossing illicitly uh, a site of danger and conflict. Um, and I think for us, it was interesting to um, bring those again to the port of entry, which is essentially uh, a giant traffic jam where people wait, uh, you know, hours to, to cross the border. And, and, and it's infused not so much with a sense of uh, danger and drama, but just boredom. Uh, so the kind of, again, uh, tension between yeah. uh, these different experiences, these different narratives around borders became really interesting for us to try to bring together in this massive supercut of scenes of, of the crossing. Yeah. I don't, I just, I think also just to show that there's no kind of singular experience, right, of migration. And maybe Ishal, before we wrap, was there anything else you were thinking or wanted to say? I love looking at everyone's expressions too. Um, about yeah, Cognate's work or anything we've looked at, any similarities? Yeah, I, I really like it. And I was thinking also from, I guess, from everyone's uh, kind of contributions today. Yeah, the, the, the aspect of our, our childhoods, like, you know, I, you were saying, Amy, that your grandmother's house and you, you saw these uh, laundries being uh, hanging there. And then I just, talked about like me as a child being taken by my father to the shoe polisher the stories that we witness as children you know and how these actually in the end these the stories that we experience or these yeah uh, not, not just stories but these every everyday uh, actually everyday realities that we experience then turn into uh, yeah our our work and um, somehow, yeah, that made, yeah, that I think made me feel more connected to you uh, and your work in that way. That was lovely. Thank you, Ishal. Like Ishal was saying, these things from childhood, I think I always hoped I'd grow up and just know a lot of really like dynamic, interesting people from all over doing cool things. And then there are these moments when you realize, oh, you got there. So thank you. Thank you, you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Focal Point. Focal Point is presented by the Museum of Contemporary Photography at Columbia College Chicago in partnership with WCRXFM. Special thanks to the WCRX team, Matt Cunningham, Wesley Reno, and Matthew Burton. Music is by Zavi. To see the images we discussed today, please visit mocp.org backslash focal point. You can also follow the Museum of Contemporary Photography on Facebook and Instagram at mocpshy and on Twitter at at MOCP underscore Chicago. If you enjoyed our show, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to Focal Point anywhere that you get your podcasts.